Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to go ahead and jump on in. Um, for those of you guys who are new, or if you guys have been here for a while, you've obviously noticed that Ken's not here this morning. So, you got me this morning. Um, be sure to give him a hard time, because if I ever miss, Ken likes to put out my email address, and I get flooded with emails from guys. So, if y'all want to return the favor for him, let you know that you got my permission to do so. Um, Today we're going to be talking about Abraham, specifically um, really what it means to, uh, he was called the friend of God. So what it means to be the friend of God, what, what's the key to that, and a lot of that is faith. Um, so we're going to be kind of all over the place today. We don't have a specific passage. We're going to be jumping around. Um, so if you guys want to bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Father, thank you for today and for just bringing us here this morning. Lord, I pray that as we we jump into your word and and learn what it looks like to um, live a life that's marked by faith, what it looks like to be be called the friend of God, I pray that this is something we would um, be receptive to. Lord, I pray that the the words that I speak today would be yours and not mine. And God, that what we learn from your word would be something that we don't just leave here, but we would take and apply to our lives as we walk out of this building this morning. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us with our time today. Uh, In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so like I said, we're going over uh, the life of Abraham today. So last week, if you remember, we talked about Lot. This is kind of the the flip of that. So if if Lot was the bad example, we're going to use Abraham as the good example, specifically talking about how Abraham is the friend of God. All throughout Scripture, there's a, a numerous amount of um, verses that talk about Abraham being the friend of God or refer to him as being the friend of God, which is a title that we don't typically associate, um, specifically if we're talking about what a godly man is. I think we, we'll try to think about um, masculinity in, in really masculine terms. When we say the friend of God, that's not necessarily the first thing we would, we would, that would come to mind. But all throughout scripture, Abraham is referred to as the friend of God. But just to kind of give an overview of Abraham, in Romans chapter 4, we have uh, a couple of verses that really just give us the synopsis of his life, what he's known for, um, specifically referring to his faith and how that feeds into him becoming or being called the friend of God. But it says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is a verse that, or the idea of Abraham's faith being counted to him as righteousness is something that we hear a lot. Um, it's something that's talked a lot about Abraham, his immense amount of faith. So when you read this passage in Romans, it, for me, makes me think, okay, this is how we remember Abraham. This, this is how we look back on his life. And if we try to summarize who he was, what he did, this is a verse that we would run to. His faith was unwavering in the face of any kind of circumstance. I mean, to the point to where when, he told, when God told him to sacrifice his son, the passage doesn't seem to show that he had any hesitation to do so. So Abraham's faith in God was unwavering. And so as I think through this passage and think through the idea of, okay, this is how we remember Abraham, as I prepare for this week, it kind of made me think, okay, how do I want to be remembered? If we're going to be talking about in this series, what does it mean to be a godly man? How do we want to be remembered? How do we as men of God want to be remembered? And there's a few different things that could come to mind, right? 
a godly husband, a good husband, a good father. Y'all, I'm in the stage in my life where I'm a new father. And as I think through, okay, this is how Abraham was remembered. I think to myself, man, how do I want to be remembered? For sure, I would want to be remembered as a good, a good husband, a good father. Now, when it comes to being a good father, half the time, I don't even know what I'm doing. And people tell me that that's the rest of my life anyways. But I would like to be remembered in this way. Or maybe it's... Um, being successful in business, your career, your opportunities, things of that nature. Um, I'll throw in the, the church answer, right? The name of the series is A Godly Man Who Wouldn't Want to Be Remembered as a Godly Man. But then I think, okay, if Abraham is remembered as the friend of God, why would that not be something we would want to be known as or something that we would want to be remembered by? But like I said, this is sometimes a phrase that, or a title that isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you, okay, how do you want to be remembered? Or if we were to ask you know, people that you work with, your friends, how do they know you? What do they know you by? Would they say a friend of God? But we're going to see that this is a, a title that carries a lot of weight, and to be called the friend of God is something amazing. And really all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Abraham is referred to this way. So it's not just in these Old Testament passages or the prophets that referred to him as this, we see it all the way in James chapter two. Speaking of Abraham, it says, you see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. And so we see that his, his faith is really what feeds his friendship with God. It's because of the immense amount of faith that he had that God calls him his friend. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it says, Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? Speaking of the promised land, it says, And did, not, did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? So even long after Abraham's gone, we saw in the New Testament here in 2 Chronicles as well, even long after Abraham's gone, he's referred to as the friend of God. And then in Isaiah chapter 41, really this is talking um, about Jacob, but it says he's a descendant of Abraham. It says, but as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. So God, in speaking to other people throughout Scripture, refers to Abraham as, fr as his friend and even to Abraham himself. He says he is my friend. So when you think about the friend of God, especially as we look to Abraham, I ask myself, okay, what did he do? What did he do to earn the title, the friend of God? And why should that be something that we would want to do? Well, luckily for us, I mean, that seems like a high, um, a high bar to reach because Abraham is known as the, the patriarch of our faith, right? He, he is the one that God called out of Ur the Chaldeans and then um, basically walked with him all the way through the, the story of Genesis. But we see that there's nothing that Abraham did to earn this title. It wasn't none of his accomplishments. It wasn't by his own merit. He didn't do anything to earn this distinction this was all given to him by God. His choice, it was God's choice, and it was all based on grace, not by anything that Abraham had done. Because if you think back through Abraham's life, just a few bullet points about what Abraham did. Before God calls him, he's an unbeliever. He's living in Ur. 
and he was sinful, and he was prone to failure. These three characteristics are not typically the things you would think of if somebody was called by God his friend. This is not what we would think of. And what's fascinating is at one point in time, if you take out the words from Ur, at one point in time, this describes every man in this room. At one point in time, we were unbelievers. I mean, we're, we're still sinful and we're prone to failure. However, how amazing is it that God, knowing all this, all that being true, still chooses us. God still chose Abraham to be the person that he was going to use as the patriarch of our faith. But let's just look at some of the things that Abraham did when it comes to his failures to show us that, man, all of this is based on God's grace, not any of the merit or accomplishments of Abraham. He failed to obey God fully and leaving his country and his relatives. When God called him, he, he didn't trust God in the face of famine. He didn't trust God's protection in Egypt twice Abraham told his wife, Sarah, to pretend to be his sister so that people wouldn't kill him. And how he was able to get away with that twice, nobody knows. But still, he didn't trust God for him to protect him. He didn't believe God could provide him with an heir and also didn't take God seriously regarding his wife's ability to conceive. I mean, all throughout our study in Genesis, really all these failures are kind of a synopsis of the fall study when we did the first part of Genesis we were really kind of going through Abraham's life. But his, his wife, him and Abraham both thought, or she and Abraham both thought that um, she was barren, wasn't going to be able to have a kid. And God says, hey, in your old age, I will give you a son. And yet Sarah and Abraham didn't believe that, didn't think that that could happen. And so Sarah tells uh, Abraham to sleep with his servant Hagar. And that's where we get Ishmael. But then again, in chapter 20, God um, or Abraham doesn't trust God to protect him because he, again, tells his wife, hey, pretend that you're my sister so that these people don't come after me. So we see all of these things and we can see that, you know, these are times where he didn't believe and trust in the Lord. He, he didn't, um, he basically failed. But even then, God chose him. He's referred to as the father of the faithful. He's referred to as the friend of God over and over and over again. And so really this is kind of an encouragement to us, right? Because even Abraham, who we probably sometimes put on a pedestal because of who he is, even that guy who went through all of those failures that we just mentioned, God looks at him and says, I choose you, I'm going to choose you, you are going to be my friend. And we see the result of that. It's just this immense amount of faith that Abraham has moving forward. And as that Romans four passage says, his faith was unwavering in, in the face of so many different trials. So when you think about the being a friend of God, you, you really can kind of break it down to, okay, how do we do this? How does one become the friend of God? Looking at Abraham's life, even if he didn't earn this by any, any degree, what did, what did he do? What did his life look like? What was his life marked by? And as we see through Romans 4, as we see through Hebrews 11, his life was marked by faith. And so looking at that, you see, okay, faithfulness is the key to true friendship with, with the Lord. Faithfulness is the key to true friendship with God. Proverbs chapter 20 says, many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable or who is truly faithful? Reading this, this proverb, I, I sit there and think, okay, 
The Lord is the definition of faithfulness. God is faithfulness. He is faithful. And so when I read this, I think to myself, okay, I really find myself at the front of my mind constantly asking the question, what does my life look like? Is my life marked by true faithfulness to the Lord? Or am I just saying that to make people think that I am a believer, make people think that I'm doing what the Christian thing is? Or is my life in every aspect marked by faithfulness to God? So what is faithfulness? If faithfulness is the key to true friendship with the Lord, to being called the friend of God, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be faithful? Well, the Hebrew word there is imuna, and if we just take a very simple definition, go into the dictionary, faithfulness is to be firm, it's to, to be steadfast. Um, you can be counted on. If somebody's faithful, they're loyal. These are the people that you can trust, the people that you can rely on, the people that you know. Uh, really, if you think through um, the, the parables of Scripture, it's the person who is steady. It's the person who's you know, built their house on the rock and rather than building their house on the, stand, on the sand. So faithfulness is the key here. The best example of faithfulness is God. Now, I know you hear me say that, and you're like, okay, that's such the cheesy answer. That's, that's the, the cop-out. Of course, God is faithfulness, but it's true. God is the, this embodiment of what it means to be faithful. And there are so many different parts of our lives where whether we realize it or not, we are completely dependent upon his faithfulness. I mean, we can't save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. So it's solely because of God's faithfulness that we are saved. It's, so we're relying upon it for uh, our salvation, for our deliverance from temptation. If we were left to our own devices, we would fall into temptation every single time. But because of God's faithfulness, we can be delivered from that. For our sanctification, our forgiveness of sin, I mean, when it comes to the forgiveness of sin, there is nothing that I can do. Again, when it comes to our salvation as well, there's nothing that I can do to wipe that slate clean. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. We're completely dependent upon the faithfulness of God. And finally, from Hebrews chapter 10, for the fulfillment of eternal life. So God is truly faithful. He's not just, this isn't just some characteristic of his that's, you know, one part over here. He is faithfulness. He is, like we see scripture say, God is love. God is faithful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, he who calls you is faithful. So we're faithful, or God is faithful, and because he calls us, therefore we understand what true faithfulness is, because he is the one that's showing that to us. And because God has shown his faithfulness to us, we now have the ability to show that to others. So this is something that we should emulate. This should be something that is involved in every aspect of our life, not just on Sundays or not just on, uh, in the mornings whenever we're spending time in the word with the Lord. Faithfulness should be a part of every aspect of our lives. This is something that we should emulate. So how do you do that? What, how do you show faithfulness? How do you how are you a faithful person? How do we look at the life of Abraham and say, okay, the faith that he had, how do I do that? Because it is something that's supposed to be active. Well, in John chapter 15, it says, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So if we're gonna say faithfulness is the key to true friendship with God, Jesus himself says, okay, you are my friends. You are faithful to me if you do what I command. So we're obedient. So faithfulness produces 
this obedience or to be faithful, to be the friend of God, we are obedient to him. First John, some of the commands that Jesus gives us, if we're going to say that faithfulness, to emulate faithfulness, we need to be obedient to the Lord. One of the things that we're supposed to do in First John, it says, do not love the th- this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you or the love for the Father in you. So a simple command, don't love the world. Be in the world, but not of the world is a way to be obedient to the Lord, which produces the faithfulness that we're seeing here, that we're talking about, that we see in Abraham. And then Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Faithfulness is, I would say, synonymous with loyalty and loyalty to the Lord. And so in being loyal to God and being faithful to God, we're going to be obedient to him in obeying the commands of scripture. Faith is something that's interesting because faith in my mind, I think breeds hope. It's what allows us to to look at the world that we live in today and see, okay, we would all agree, things are not going right. No one walks out of this room, out of this building and says, you know what, the world is in a great place right now. But it's because of our faith that it produces hope. And for us, we say, okay, this is not the end. Because of the faith we have in the Lord, it produces this hope that we can trust in his promises. Now, think about it this way. We're talking a lot about what does it mean to be a friend of God? Think about it in terms of your relationships with your friends here on earth. So when you've met somebody for the first time, you're trying to figure out, okay, am I going to continue meeting with this person? Am I going to continue hanging out with them? The first thing you think through is their character, their integrity. Are they kind? Are they caring? Do they seem genuine? Are they somebody that I want to be around? And once you get past that, you think, okay, can I trust what they're saying? Can I trust their words? Do I or are they just speaking, you know, half-truths? Are they speaking out of the side of their mouth? What are they saying? But once you get to the point where you can trust what they're saying, you really begin to trust their words. So they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Time and time again, as we talked through Genesis, you heard me and Ken say, God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And I think the same thing is true here. And all this results in us having the hope that, okay, we can trust this person. They might not have done what they said they're going to do, but I know that at some point they're going to. All this is true for our relationship with the Lord. And when it comes to being a friend of God, we can trust in his his character. We can trust in his integrity, which allows us to trust and believe the words of scripture. And then ultimately the promises of God. Because think about Abraham for a second. He never actually saw the fulfillment of the promises Yet, because of the immense amount of faith that he had in the Lord, that faith produced a hope that he could look beyond the here and now and say, I know what's coming. And I know that eventually the Lord is going to fulfill these promises. Look at this quote from uh, Thomas Watson. This comes from his book, A Godly Man's Picture, which we've named the series after. But it says, if men lived by faith, would they use sinful means for a livelihood? If there were faith, would there be so much fraud? If, there, if theirs was a living faith, would men like dead fish swim downstream? If this be the sign of a godly man, how few will be found in the number? Where is the man whose heart is dilated in love to God, 
Many court him, but few love him. People are, for the most part, eaten up with their self-love. They love their ease, their worldly profit, their lust, but they do not have a drop of love to God. Now, I read that, and at first, I'm like, okay, that is very harsh. Basically, the first time I read that, I was like, Thomas Watson is saying there's no faithful, hardly any faithful person on earth. I mean, he says, how few in number would there be? I mean, he's saying, based on everything that we do, there's faithfulness is not a characteristic that a lot of people are going to employ. But I think as I read through that more and more, what he's saying is, okay, ask yourself, in every aspect of your life, are you faithful to the Lord? In your job, in your, in your career, in your family, as a, as a husband, as a father, are you faithful to God? Because faithfulness isn't just a one-time thing. It's not just a uh, you know, we're going to use it here and there, but it's no, in every aspect of our life, our faith to the Lord should be unwavering. I mean, think about Abraham, right? What's fascinating about the passage where he's told to sacrifice his son, I think we tend to look into that passage and say, okay, as for me, I mean, no, that passage hits way differently now that I'm a father and I know that everybody in here who is a dad is like, yeah, obviously that's true. But for me, I read that and I'm like, if that was me, I would tuck tail and run and go the other way. There's, I mean, I, I'm on staff at a church, so I probably shouldn't say that. But if we're just being honest, that would probably be me. However, the text seems to indicate that Abraham never wavered. Sure, did he maybe think that, that you know, God, what, what are you doing? But he, and, and no point in time in the text, did he say, God, I don't want to do this. There's got to be a different way. There, you know, he was unwavering in his faith to the Lord, no matter what. And I think that's the question that Thomas Watson, Thomas Watson is raising: is okay in every aspect, in in every single situation in our life, whether it's easy, whether it's it's hard, are we faithful to the Lord? Is our faith unwavering? Because that seems to be one of the characteristics of being a friend of God. So when you look at faithfulness, if we're going to say that faithfulness is the key to true friendship with the Lord, and we're going to say that it produces hope, what are the different aspects of faith? Well, I think the first thing that we can think through is it's steadfast. So if we go back to the definition of faith, one of the first words in the definition would be steadfastness. Somebody who stands firm, it's somebody who's going to stand firm in their convictions. They're not going to be moved or they're not easily moved. I mean, the whole idea of an unwavering faith is somebody that is not going to go with the wind. They're going to stand firm in what they believe uh, or, or the testimony of the Lord. We look to scripture and we say, okay, I'm going to be faithful to this because this is God's word and I can trust this. But here's my favorite part, y'all. As I was preparing for this, this, this just blew my mind. In the Old Testament, the, word, the Hebrew word for faith is never used as a noun. Every single time the Hebrew word for faith appears in the Old Testament, it's written in the form of a verb. Now, I know it's early, and I know we don't really want to deal with English, but this is fascinating because what that implies is faith is not stagnant. Our faith is always active. There should never be a point in time where our, our faith is, is just complacent, but it's always growing. It's ever growing. It's always us being active in our faith. And I think faith is synonymous throughout scripture with the fear of God. 
we can see different areas in, in Scripture where we, we talk about what does it mean to fear the Lord. And I think you could really supplant that word with, or that phrase with the word faith. But faith is active. It's, it's us doing something. Genesis chapter 20, what's fascinating here is this is a passage where uh, Abraham has, again, told his wife to pretend to be his sister, and therefore, so that he wouldn't be hurt. But we see, or killed, and we see in this passage, he says, I did this, I told her to do this, because the place that they were passing through, I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place. There's no faith in God in this place, and they're going to kill me because of my wife. So it's easily recognizable when there is no faith. It's easily recognizable when no one fears the Lord or people um, around us don't fear the Lord. I mean, like I said earlier, we could walk out of this building today and very easily point out areas in, in the world where there is no fear of God. But then in Psalm chapter um, 111, it says, the fear of the Lord or, or faith in God is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Wisdom doesn't just happen overnight. It's not something that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, by the end of the day, I'm going to be this incredibly wise person. It's something that grows over time. But I can tell you the beginning of it, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is faith in God, believing in God, trusting in God, and being obedient to Him. So faith and the fear of the Lord are synonymous. These are characteristics that we can see um, of, of what it means to be a friend of the Lord. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God or have faith in God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. That is a bold claim. The whole duty of man, the chief duty of man, our whole purpose is to have faith in God and keep his commandments. Have faith in God and obey his word. Do what he tells us to do. You know, what's interesting is, you know, it wasn't until I became a dad that I've realized back, look back on my life and I'm like, man, growing up, especially as a teenager, I always thought I knew what was best for me. And whenever my parents, I disagreed with my parents on whatever that was, I thought they were crazy and that they had no idea what they were talking about. And my son's only eight months old, but I can already say like, no, like you don't need to grab that, that socket or you don't need to grab anything out of there. Like I, I'm, when I pull him away, he starts to cry, he starts to scream. And I said, no, if you just trust me, I know what's best for you. And what's amazing here is we see really the Lord telling us, I know what's best for you. And what's best for you is if you have faith in me to obey my commands. Even sometimes we think it's hard or it might be difficult, but the Lord is saying, no matter what, have faith in me and obey my commands. That is our whole purpose. That's our whole duty. So faith is synonymous with uh, steadfastness. It's synonymous with fearing the Lord, but it's also synonymous with trust. All throughout scripture, we see uh, this idea of trusting in God, and you can really say the same thing uh, there as faith. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we've read through this passage already, but it says, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Again, God is saying, if you would just believe in me, if you would have faith in me, if you would trust in me, you will be established. You will succeed. I know these things are true because I know what's best for you. 
Psalm chapter four, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord, not in other things, not the things of this world. Remember what we saw in the first John passage, it said, don't love the ways of this world because if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. Put your trust in the Lord and nothing else, not not your, your house, not your car, your job. None of those things, our trust, our faith should solely be in the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 26, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You know, talking about the idea of building your house on the rock versus building your house on the sand, this is the, the most picture perfect passage to say, okay, God is a solid rock and we can put our faith, our hope, our trust and our obedience in him forever, knowing that he's going to be faithful, knowing he's going to be steadfast and he's not going to be moved. So faith is synonymous with trust, but it's also synonymous with obedience. Faithfulness is this, this produces this obedience in us to follow after the commands of God. Exodus chapter 19, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God is saying, obey my voice, keep my commands, keep my covenant, because I know if you do these things, I know what is best for you. First Samuel chapter 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. This is an interesting, an interesting verse because it's really pointing out to us, obedience is what God desires. God desires us to obey him and to follow after his commands rather than anything else. He wants us to be obedient to him. He says to obey, to be obedient to the Lord is better than sacrifice because as we saw in the Ecclesiastes verse, this is the chief duty of, our, of, of man. This is our purpose is to have faith in God and then through that be obedient to him and his commands. And then Jeremiah chapter seven but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Again, we are to be obedient. I think faithfulness really, in order to be faithful, we are obedient to God. In order to be the friend of God, we are obedient to him and we obey his commands. He's not gonna lead us astray. If we've talked about uh, God being loyal, if we talked about him being steadfast, him being um, the everlasting rock, the commands that God gives us are not intended for our downfall. They're not gonna be bad. All of the commands that God gives us are intended for our good. And so he says, obey my voice and walk in the way that I command you. What's so interesting here is that faith is a, new is a New Testament concept that really brings to life these Old Testament passages. Specifically, the, the first one that comes to my mind is Habakkuk chapter two. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. We've seen Abraham described many times as um, his faith was counted to him as righteous or his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So the righteous person is marked by a life of faith. The righteous are going to live by faith. And what does that faith look like? It's obedience, it's trust, it's fearing the Lord. 
Romans chapter one says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You see, what's amazing is the last part of this verse. All of this being made right in the sight of God is accomplished by faith. It's not just part of it. From the start to the end, all of this is accomplished by faith in God because then it goes on to say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We have life solely because of the faith that we've seen from God. God is faithful and our life should be marked by that same faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith passage, says faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. You know, I've read that verse a thousand times and for a while I kind of struggled with it because I was like, okay, what does that mean? Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's, It's the things that we cannot see. And in studying this and studying the life of Abraham, what I've realized is that, again, remember, he never saw the, the promised land as his own. He was given these promises. He was given the, the promise of land, blessing, descendants. And so he looks at the promised land, and it's never his. He's, he's, he doesn't own it as his own possession. But because his faith produced hope, he can look to the future and say, I know God is going to accomplish this. Because for Abraham... He had faith, he had trust in the one who made the promise. It wasn't the promise themselves. It wasn't, the promise was not what he had faith in. The, the, his faith was in the one who made the promise. So look at the, the promises that he made in Genesis chapter 13. We actually read this last week. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And then a little bit later in Genesis 17, he says, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is what Abraham was promised. He was promised a a land. He He was promised the promised land. And yet, even on Abraham's deathbed, he never saw it. He never saw one inch of the promised land as his own possession. Yet, Even on his dying breath, he had faith that God was going to fulfill that promise. And the only reason he could get there is because his faith that grew over time produced an immense amount of hope and trust that the Lord would fulfill these promises even if he wasn't going to see it. So faith is evidence of things, or faith produces hope, which allows us to see the things unseen is exactly this. It's Abraham looking to the future saying, Look, I know where I'm looking towards. I'm looking forward to the day where I can be a part of the city that's got its foundations built solely on the Lord. And I know that God's going to fulfill this promise, maybe even if I'm not going to be the one to see it fulfilled. If you look at Stephen's um, speech in chapter 7 of Acts, right before he's stoned, he says, God brought him here to the land where you now live. Speaking of, in, they're in Jerusalem, they're, they're in Israel. He says, but God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. 
He's saying, we're standing here in the land that was promised to Abraham. And even though he never set foot in this land as his own possession, he trusted that the father would eventually fulfill the promise to him for this land. And then in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, again, that's the key there, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And Isaac and Jacob never saw it as their possession either, and they were given the same promise. But we see in just the beginning of this, this passage from Hebrews 11 is all of it was marked by faith. Abraham, by faith, did this. He, he obeyed when he was called out. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise. He did all of this by faith. <laughs> and then here's the, the, the hope. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. His faith allowed him to get out of the here and now and look to what's coming and to have hope in what the Lord is going to do and, what, and the, trusting that the Lord is gonna do what he says he's gonna do. And then it rounds out with saying, these all died in faith, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So I read a passage like that and I think to myself, man, do I have that amount of faith? Do I have faith that even when things are getting hard, things in the world look like they're going haywire, do I have faith that produces a, a trust and a hope in the Lord that I can look forward to the day whenever Christ is going to return and is going to make all things right? Abraham was given these promises and he never saw these promises fulfilled, but he had a trust in the Lord that he was going to fulfill them eventually. And even though he never saw those promises fulfilled, his faith grew over time. You know, I think what gets hard for us sometimes is, or at least for me, is, okay, I'm thinking, man, if I were Abraham, Abraham lived a really long time. He got really, really old and never saw this promise fulfilled. So my faith, I would think, okay, is God actually gonna do what he says he's going to do? But scripture seems to indicate that over time, his faith only grew stronger. Going back to that Romans 4 passage, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith only grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. His faith only grew stronger over time. There was never a moment where his faith took a backslide. It was never a moment where his faith wavered. Scripture is very clear that he was unwavering in his faith. And he had every reason to, to really not believe that God was going to do what he said he was gonna do. Because look at through all the different tests that he had. He had to deal with famine, Pharaoh, his family, his you know, infertility with him and his wife. But those daily tests of life only strengthened his faith. But then you think through, okay, that, that same thing is true for us. You could, you could fill out those four bullet points with you know, any plethora of things, but the daily tests of life should strengthen our faith in God. Or even looking at our own weakness and how that should increase our faith, whether it's spiritually, physically, morally. In realizing the weakness that we have, we, we understand that, man, I can't do this on my own. 
I can't do this life on my own. I am only putting my trust, my faith in, in the Lord and these things. Realizing this, that without God, none of this would be possible, that should only increase our faith. And then lastly, looking at the, um, looking at God's faithfulness and everything that he has done for us, the faithfulness that he has shown us when we don't deserve it should encourage our faith. Because at the end of the day, and I know this all rhymes, but it's his election, direction, protection, correction, and affection. All of these things are done by the Lord. And if you go back to what we talked about at the beginning, there's, we're, we're dependent upon God's faithfulness for our salvation and a whole plethora of other things for the forgiveness of sins. And we can't do any of that on our own, but it's solely because of God's faithfulness that we, we have those things. So friendship with God, if we're, if we're going to summarize all of this, friendship with God really starts with being faithful to him. And faithfulness to God is, is trusting in him. It's being obedient to him. It's understanding um, what it means to be steadfast. And we see all of those different characteristics from the Lord, but it begins with faith, with, with faith and it's marked by trust in him and requires perseverance because there's going to be moments where having faith in God is hard. I mean, look at Abraham's life. There were moments where it wasn't always just a cakewalk, but there are going to be moments where having faith in God, which is being friends with him, is going to require perseverance and commitment. It makes no room for doubt. And it's making the devotion, our devotion to God its highest priority. Our, our life being marked by faith is us trusting God. It's us being obedient to his commands and placing nothing above that. And lastly, it doesn't allow for any substitutes. We don't have faith, like I've said before, in our, in our jobs, in our careers, in our um, houses, our car, whatever, you, whatever it is that the world has to offer, there's no room for that when it comes to having faith in God or placing your faith in those things. So what does Jesus say about this? Well, in John chapter 15, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the father told me. And this is what I love. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command, love each other. This covers everything that we've talked about. To be the friend of God, it's not anything that we, we do to earn. Because Jesus is very clear, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And now us having the faith in the Lord who so graciously chose us, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, we therefore now have a faith that produces hope, trust, and the one thing that he tells us to do is to obey my commands. And he ends it by saying, here's my command to you, love one another. Treat each other with, with kindness. Show each other the love that has been shown to you. First John talks about how um, God has shown us this love. The only reason you and I have the ability to love anybody, to show people the love that has been shown to us is because God first did it for us. And so this is what Jesus is saying is you're my friends if you obey my command, you're faithful to me, you, you trust me, you have your, uh, place your uh, faith in me and you're obedient to what I tell you. He says to love each other. So here are your questions for today. 
First one is, what are some things we place our faith in other than God, and why is this dangerous for us to do? I mean, we all have answers to this question. There are a whole host of things that, whether we believe it or not, we actually place our faith in and place a higher priority than our devotion to the Lord. So what are those things? Second, why is it impossible to be, or why is it impossible to be a true friend of God without faith? What about our faith reveals the depth or deficiency of our friendship with God? And lastly, Abraham's friendship with God grew over time. Has that been true for you and how? Y'all pray for me. Lord, thank you for just bringing us here this morning and, and giving us an example in Abraham of what it looks like to have true faith. Lord, even in moments where it seems difficult or moments where it seems hard, I, I pray that we would look to him as an example, understanding that his faith was unwavering. Lord, I pray that that would be a faith that is produced in us, God, but it doesn't stop there, that it produces in us this hope um, for things unseen, this, this trust and this obedience, Lord, that when we, we walk out of here, we say, okay, and we're asking ourselves, is our life marked by true faith? So I pray that you would be with us uh, in our discussion this morning and be with us as we drive into work. In your name I pray, amen.